Good morning and welcome to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host. I'm delighted to have as my guest this morning Hugh Davies with Schramsberg, a very exceptional California, Napa Valley-based winery. Welcome to the program, Hugh. Uh, Good morning. Great to be with you. You know, Hugh, I seldom will read uh, anything, uh, but I'm going to read a little bit from um, the uh, promo that was sent out because uh, it really does characterize uh, what I think uh, helps to characterize Schramsberg. Um, and, and, And essentially it said that winemaking... Being one of the oldest businesses in the history of Western civilization uh, has become highly competitive and that uh, wineries that have mastered the art and science of making quality wines are the wineries that create their own recipes for success and that it takes, or essentially all it takes, is quality soil, the right geography, the right climate, quality grapes, smart harvesting, careful fermentation, maybe blending, a quality team, and the artistry to create a taste that can satisfy discerning palates. I go on to uh, say, or it, the uh, promo says, that one such winery is Schramsberg in the Napa Valley, recognized within the industry for making exceptional wines with the best grapes from some of the best respected, the best and most respected uh, vineyards in California. And, Hugh, I, I basically think that uh, all of that is, uh, is, is accurate. And then the tongue-in-cheek reference to all it takes is a lot of different things uh, coming in alignment uh, to produce a quality wine. Would you agree with that statement? It, I, I, I would agree with the statement. You know, this is a... Um I guess it's probably a little bit more complicated than than you know, the, the the novice or the person who's not involved uh, would realize. There's the, you know, the starting in the vineyard. Uh, the the you know not every piece of ground is is the same, and when you're trying to uh, create flavors that are are that special and unique. Uh, it frankly takes a lot of time to figure out which which plots of ground might 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 help best to, to get you there. Um, you know, just very subtle differences in terms of, of, of microclimates can can tilt things in in a significant way. Um, I think one aspect of making wine is obviously it's been going on for for you know centuries, right? Um, uh, Back in the biblical times, you know, there are plenty of references to wine. So, you know, a couple thousand years, but there is this uh, um, notion that it is that it is uh, always evolving and and uh, moving forward. Um, there is there is a uh, it's it, it's kind of thrilling, I guess, in in a way for for some of us who, who do this. Well, you know, it was. It, I, I, I mentioned it was tongue in cheek that it that all it took was uh, quality soil and the right geography, the right climate, um, quality grapes grown from the right soil under the right climate conditions, and then timing on the harvesting and 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 careful fermentation, uh, oftentimes uh, blending, and then probably the most important ingredient would be a quality team, and then there's a. There's the artistry factor to go with with the science that actually creates a great taste, and within those 
uh, areas. I mean, you mentioned, you know, microclimates. Uh, you know, that alone is the influence behind um, uh, grit wines from various regions of the world uh, and, and actually influences, you know, the characteristic uh, uh, flavor of, of a wine. And I wonder if we can go back, you know, we know that Jacob Schramm came to uh, the Napa Valley uh, in, in 1862 and that he toiled um, for years and that a few years later, um, 10, 12, 14 years in 1876, I, 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 I believe is when Schramsburg be- became very recognized, and it was also becoming uh, m- uh, a more productive vineyard. Let's talk a little bit about um, what you think those early days might have been like. I, I-, I don't want to make you the official historian. Uh, you are the vintner and um, the team leader of uh, the Schramsburg operation, and we'll talk about the transition from the Schramm family to the Davies family, but what do you think it was like in those early days when Jacob Schramm came and uh, there were few other vineyards, a uh, few other growers? I mean, they, they must have uh, recognized that, wow, this is a climate, uh, not unlike some European regions that some of those farmers were familiar with, and they uh, must have thought that they'd uh, come across a, a gold mine. Well, it, it is. It is. You, know, you reference this notion of um, you know, we're here now, and 150 years ago, um, the, the first grapes were planted here on 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 these hillsides. And obviously, you know, going back in in time, people were were toiling with with vines and and, and winemaking in other places. There is this uh, notion that we're o- we're always building upon what was what was happening uh, before us. Uh, and uh, there, you know, now here on this specific piece of ground, you know, there's there's effectively 150 years of, of history of of, of fine tuning winemaking. Uh, today, it, it involves vineyards that that aren't you know just here on this property. Way back when, you've got to imagine that that primarily what the, the Shrams were working with were were the grapes that they would grow right here on this property, and at that time. There just weren't many vineyards around in in, uh, in California uh, or you know, Napa Valley. We think of, of Jacob and Annie Schramm, German immigrants. Uh, Schramm would have been 36 years old when uh, he started here at Schramsburg in 1862. Uh, they were the the northernmost vineyard in in Napa County, and they weren't on the valley floor. They they were up in the hills. Uh, so our property. Uh, you know the, the vineyards on this property sit uh, between say 600 feet and a thousand feet above sea level the valley floor below us is at about 200 feet and so they came up some fairly steep canyons found some relatively flat benches up in the hills um, you got to imagine the, the work involved in clearing the land um, would, would have been uh, somewhat arduous to say the least um, long before we really had uh, you know, machines that, 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 that could do this. So so much of that work was actually done by hand. It would have been uh, literally one stone at a time. Um, 
and and uh, a very slow uh, process uh, of building. The big break that they got, uh, so about 18 years after they started, was in 1880, and and most of the listeners will probably recognize the name of Robert Louis Stevenson. So he was a uh, he would become a very famous author shortly after visiting Napa Valley and spending uh, time here in 1880. He wrote a book called The Silverado Squatters that details uh, his time here and, and uh, you know, depicts some of the characters and, and the wines. Uh, but he would become one of the most widely read you know, English language authors. And so you know, within uh, some years, uh, Schramm and, and others here in Napa were selling their wines in New York, London. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was good. That was, that was fortuitous. There, there definitely were a couple of episodes that gave um, the brand uh, a boost. Um, the, 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 the wine itself um, was considered a, a quality product, but there were some high-profile moments uh, in, in the evolution of Schramsberg, and we'll touch on a couple of those. But I want to ask you about uh, the location, uh, Hugh. And for listeners who have never been to Calistoga at the north end of the Napa Valley, uh, the Napa Valley is a beautiful agricultural uh, valley s- surrounded by hills. Uh, some of the hills are, are you know, in the, in the midst of the valley, um, but Calistoga is at the north end. And Schramsberg is, is a, a, a hidden gem of a location. And to get to it, you, you weave through... Uh, a grove or groves of uh, redwood trees. Do you think that that road was the original road, Hugh, and and it just uh, uh, got paved uh, over time? Yeah, there. You know, if I look at the old old blueprints, you know, the old maps of of, of this area, there are actually two roads that, and there still are two, two roads that that come up to the Shramsrick property, uh, but back in. In the old days, uh, one was called the uh, the St. Helena Road that would come from closer to, uh, from St. Helena uh, up, up along the Ritchie Creek, which is a pretty steep, uh, well, the, the creek runs down this Ritchie Canyon, this fairly steep redwood studded uh, canyon. Maybe people can kind of picture that in these coastal hills of California. And then the other road, uh, varying to, a little bit to the north was the Calistoga Road. That's the the main road that that, that you know, we use to access the property today. The other St. Lena Road is more of a a fire road. Um, but you've got to imagine that they would have made their way up the Creek Canyon. This Creek Canyon is a little uh, shorter uh, and more direct to the property than than the access off of uh, the Ritchie Creek Canyon. So I would imagine going way back when that was the principal. Um, means of access. It was steep. It would have taken uh, a fair amount of work to keep the the hills stable. Uh, you know, in that steep creek canyon, we do get quite a bit of rain here in the winter. You don't think of California as a, a, a place that that gets a ton of rain, but in the winter time, we generally do, especially in some of these coastal pockets. So, you know, some of the wettest. Uh, parts of the continental U.S. are actually, you know, the, the, this north coast of California, you know, famous for its redwood trees and, and, and giant trees in general. Uh, right. They need water. Right. So uh, wherever you find the redwoods. 
Uh, Wherever you find the redwoods, oftentimes you're going to have um, uh, precipitation and and fog, you know, mo- a moist climate. Yep. And, yep. and uh, my guess is it makes for a great uh, uh, g- grapes. Uh, and then I know that you um, also source some grapes from other parts of the Napa Valley and 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 possibly beyond. We'll we'll get to, to that in a moment. But I I, I want to. Uh, also give a great deal of credit to um, Jack and Jamie. Uh, the Jack and Jamie Davies, uh, your parents, who uh, had tremendous foresight uh, because uh, between 1905 when Jacob Schramm passed away and 1965, um, Schrammsburg didn't quite thrive uh, and your folks came along saw the potential, uh, became dedicated to reviving uh, the Schramsberg winery. And speaking of the topography, geography, uh, and location, they were also committed to not uh, doing anything to disturb that environment. Uh, And uh, so you largely, when you travel to the winery today, you're you're almost taking a, a trip uh, back in time, uh, it, it's almost, uh, pardon the expression, uh, mystical. And uh, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, you tell us about um, uh, what you know uh, that happened in, in, in and around 1965. Um, we're here with Hugh Davies, the vintner of Schramsberg, and we'll be back with you right after this break. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Have you tuned in to the Master Gardener Hour lately? We have a brand new look. Come and join me, the new host, Kate Copsey, every Saturday at 11 a.m. on America's Web Radio. Hi, this is Steve Ronaldo, host of the Classic Car Show on America's Web Radio. Uh, just talking to you about antique car insurance. I think that uh, if you're looking for the best coverage for your classic car, consider J.C. Taylor Insurance. They've been our my insurer for years in this hobby and have the top rating of every, all of the insurance companies in the hobby. When you get ready for insurance, call J.C. Taylor or visit jctaylor.com on the Internet. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Hugh Davies, the vintner of the Schramsberg Winery, which also includes the Davies Estate and Davies Vineyard operations that produce some exceptional wines under the name Davies. Um, but 
Hugh, your 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 folks must have made a conscious decision to honor uh, Jacob Schramm by not uh, changing the name. I mean, and they 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 perhaps wanted to leverage some of the uh, equity in the name, the brand of Schramsburg, but they could easily have. Uh, created the Davies uh, Vineyard and Winery and, and, and let Schramm fall by the wayside um, because they had time to, to grow uh, the brand uh, separately. But, but they really did have an appreciation for the foundation that Jacob Schramm um, created. Is that correct? Definitely. So here, uh, Jacob, Annie Schramm, they started 1862. That family would have about a 50-year run uh, on, on this property. Uh, and, and while that was happening, the Napa Valley wine industry uh, really flourished. You know, in the 80s, the 1880s, rather, 1880s and 1890s, uh, by the time you got to the turn of that last century, there were about 300 bonded wineries, actually, in, in Napa Valley, which is which is quite significant. Granted, they were smaller. Uh, Riesling was the principal white varietal of that era. Uh, other grapes, Chasselas, uh, Columbard, um, Petit Syrah, Zinfandel, to name a few of the red varietals that, that, that would have been here. Different, a different Napa Valley, certainly, than the one that exists today. Uh, you got to the, the, the turn of the last century. Uh, Phylloxera started wiping out vineyards, uh, the, the aphid insect that, that wiped out vineyards throughout the the world, frankly, at, at about that time. And then Prohibition was really the death knell for this industry, so the place was shut down. But Schramsberg had a reputation. It was uh, one of the better-known wineries from that earlier era. So it was really 50 years later that my parents would come here, 50 years after the, the, the second generation of the Schram family had, had sold the property. Uh, Prohibition was there. And the property passed hands a few times between the, the, the teens of the, the 20th century and then the 1960s. So my parents came in. Their thought was they wanted to make a, a truly world-class sparkling wine, so a completely different type of wine than what the Shrams were making before. But there was a niche that they saw. There were no producers in California or really in the U.S. for that matter at that moment, at that specific moment, that were using Chardonnay and Pinot Noir to do bottle-fermented sparkling wine in this French champagne tradition. And they thought that they would uh, be able to do that quite well, even though uh, the expertise wasn't uh, you know, readily available, and, and they would be really the, the, the test case. What they loved about the Schramsberg property were the caves. You've been here, so there's, there's really a, a pretty um, uh, intense, developed network of caves on this property, and the property was famous for that. And so while it, my parents had been to Champagne, they'd, they'd been to you know, Rorera or, or Krug or, or Moet, they had seen, uh, you know, how people had stored the, the, the sparkling wine bottles there. They thought, man, this, this might be just the place for, for, for what we're trying to do. There, there really were no other uh, networks of caves quite uh, as, as, I guess, uh, extensive as what they found here. And so the name Schramsberg also almost has a bit of a, uh, a German ring to it. Well, it does. Schrams Mountain, Schramsberg. And if you think back to Champagne, a number of those brands uh, also have these these uh, German roots: Roter, uh, Laurent Perrier, uh, uh, Krug, etc. And so the uh, that in their minds, uh, you know, kind of all all nestled in. 
And so rather than call it Davies, they, they, they thought, well, we'll call it Shramsburg, Shrams Mountain. And, and uh, they had found a place, and, and away they went. And, and, and quite a place um, that they did find. In, in, in fact, um, I, I, I sort of see this as uh, uh, at least two and a half, if not three generations, with a few uh, permutations in between, uh, the first generation being the Schramm family, the second generation being your parents, uh, uh, Jack and Jamie Davies. And then Hugh... You could have chosen to do lots of other things. Uh, you have a couple brothers. They uh, could have chosen to, to, to not be involved at all, and, and I'm not sure to what extent that they are involved. But, but you yourself could easily have found a different path as the, um, the, the sons and daughters of um, prominent uh, businesses often do uh, the family business so to speak is not what they really want uh, as a career but you uh, studied in the enology program at the University of California Davis one of the absolutely most respected and probably the most advanced at, at least in the United States you studied in that program and you have your master's degree in enology so that you've sort of married this uh, legacy and the foundation that the Schramm, um, that Jacob Schramm created, that your parents uh, took to a, another level, and that, and then you came along, and and I guess y- your mission has been not to mess it up, and to continue to grow it, uh, and to do it with uh, a uh, yeah, that same artful approach to winemaking, but also you have uh, a background in the science. I do. I it, it's uh, you know, here we are, fifty years after my my parents started. Um, there's been uh, I guess a few chapters <laughs> that we've gone through to get to get to this spot. But um, we are fairly technical in in our approach, uh, inquisitive. Um, uh, there's um, there's a science behind it, but there's there's a, there's a process. You know, when we started, we had. Uh, we had a couple of vineyards that that we would work with in in close proximity to the winery in the Spring Mountain District, which is just to the south of us, St. Lena, Calistoga, and eventually we we would have the the vines on this property up and running and producing Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for our sparkling wines. But as as this whole process has evolved, it's gotten to the point today where there are 120 different uh, vineyards that we're working with. Uh, Here on this property, it's all Cabernet because it's a little bit warmer and we realized that this, this wasn't the place for the Chardonnay and Pinot Noir for the sparkling wines, but maybe a better place to produce uh, a rich red wine, which Napa Valley is, is generally famous for. But down in the Carneros, closer to the bay, out towards the, the ocean itself from the Mendocino County, uh, the Anderson Valley there, down through the Sonoma and Marin Coast, we're now working with you know, what we think of as the Region 1 uh, cool climate sites, where the fog plays a, a, a much more intense role, where the, the peak temperature in the day is, in, during the growing season is 10, 15, 20 degrees cooler. Uh, you still have the, the diurnal swing in terms of low temperature in the morning, high temperature in the afternoon, but we're really starting to get to a place where we have this, this extraordinary range of, of, of flavors that, you know, I guess to the, the uninitiated may be... Uh, the differences are, are a bit more subtle, but imagine a really deep bench 
of, of different uh, shades of beautiful fruits that we're able to work with as we craft our blends, looking towards uh, a finish line, which sometimes is 10, 15 years out in terms of you know when the final you know, bottle uh, might actually emerge from the cellar. Uh, it's we've 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 gained a, a lot of knowledge over these last fifty years. Um, Hugh, do you think that uh, some of the earliest uh, farmers, the earliest uh, grape growers, um, arrived with uh, clippings uh, from from Europe, and uh, because of this strong German connection, do you think that? Uh, the word had gotten out in Germany that there was a region in the U.S. Um, that was ripe, so to speak, for uh, growing uh, quality grapes? Well, definitely the word traveled. Uh, there were, you can imagine in 1900, if there were 300 bonded wineries, all of them would have been started by European settlers, right? I mean, that, that I shouldn't say there could have been a second generation you know, uh, individual that, that maybe lost something but uh, you know, and a lot of them were Germans. You know that that going back that time, you know, if you think of the the really the principal varietal was Riesling, not a varietal that the area is you know, well known for today, uh, and not a varietal that that's particularly well known in, in California today. But uh, that that German link uh, in our history is still present, and certainly there are still producers uh, of Riesling in California. Uh- you, our listeners, are endlessly fascinated by the evolution of, of a company and of the individuals associated with uh, successful companies in particular. Um, what did your uh, folks do before 1965, and what gave them the idea that they might start a uh, or revive a winery? No, good question. Um, my parents, you know, and I, I, I guess I've, I've come to... Uh, understand it a little bit better as I've gotten older and I'm 49 and I've, I've spent my, my whole life here on this property and I can recall the stories that they would tell and you know as a kid you know they kind of go in here and in one ear and, and, and out the other but um, they they were adventurous my my dad uh, was um, about 10 years older than my mom uh, he would be 42 when when they came to Shramsburg, my mom uh, in her early 30s, and they met in San Francisco in the the late 50s. Uh, my dad was working uh, for McKinsey, which is a business consulting firm. He was uh, really a marketer and uh, worked on campaigns for uh, uh, Levi Strauss um, uh, and and other you know kind of Bay Area brands. He. Uh, was working on Montgomery Street, so in the business district there of San Francisco, the financial district. My mom, meanwhile, a Berkeley grad, was over uh, on Broadway Street, uh, successful with a with a friend of hers selling paintings. Uh, so much so that they had their their own gallery, uh, uh, you know, in their in their mid twenties. Uh, so this is kind of during that beatnik era. I'm, I suppose my mom was a little bit more hip uh, than, than than my dad. But somehow there was an attraction. They actually married six months after they met, and five years later would would be here at Transburg, not not a, um, helping uh, as my dad was other people with their businesses. But but they joined forces and came up with this concept that they could make a world class sparkling wine. They found a place. They got a few investors to come in with them, 
convince some banks that, that they should lend them some money. I know my mom's father was very disappointed, initially very happy that my mom had met my dad because he was a successful you know, business consultant, you know, working on, on Montgomery Street in San Francisco. But, oh, no, you know, just a few years later, they leave that, 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 that comfort zone and, uh, and come to, to, to Napa Valley to make sparkling wine. No one was really drinking sparkling wine, let alone sparkling wine that was kind of expensive uh, and that wasn't from France. But uh, that was uh, that was that wasn't a problem to them. That that was an opportunity. They're, they're, that was a niche, and they, they were they really jumped in with with uh, I'll say all four feet. Uh, well, 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 in some sense, happen. some sense, you uh, your grandfather may not have uh, had the foresight that uh, that your parents did. And we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, those early days, and then we're going to transition into what goes on at Schramsberg today to produce some of the highest quality wines in the world. We're here with Hugh Davies of Schramsberg. We'll be back with Hugh right after this break. With all the back and forth in today's politics, it seems as though the Constitution gets lost in the mix. If you want to brush up on your Constitution, then join Michael Conley every Wednesday from 4 to 5 p.m. for the show Our Constitution on AmericasWebRadio.com. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. I'm Ron Camacho, your host, and we're here with Hugh Davies, the vintner of Schramsberg, one of the most exceptionally high-quality wineries in the United States and in the world. And it's a, a, a winery that, that's actually garnered its share of uh, awards and um, been recognized. And, um, Hugh, I want to ask you to go way back to when you were a young boy and you were growing up amidst uh, the vineyards. Um, in, in some sense, part of what makes Schramsberg very European is that um, uh the team leader, so to speak, um, you as the vintner have roots, um, no pun intended, 
that go back to your earliest days playing in and around the vineyards. And I'm wondering if during any of those moments you had any idea that this was something that you could be doing uh, in your future. That, and and if, if not, if you were like most of us who don't make a connection to what you're doing as a child with what you could do as an adult, um, when did you realize, hey... Um, I really should give some consideration to uh, working with this legacy and building this legacy and growing this legacy. Uh, tell us about that evolution. Well, I grew, I grew up here on, on the property, you know, so from basically the, the day I was born, you know, came back from the hospital um, and, uh, and you know, went to the, the local schools here in St. Helena. Um, but... Uh, eventually, you know, as, as I go off to college, uh, my parents initially didn't encourage me to to go to say winemaking school. There was the notion that you know we have this family business. I can I can remember the conversations you know, around the table, you know, primarily my parents speaking um, and giving my brothers and I a sense for you know an opportunity um, you know that that existed as we would grow up. You know, of course, you know the expectation is that you're going to have to go to work and, and you're going to have to do something to, to to make a living and to provide for your family. And one of the the, the the paths that you might choose to go down would be to you know join in this effort at at the winery. And we all all grew up here. Uh, they would describe how you could you could potentially be a winemaker and and get involved in more of the production side of the business. You could be uh, a marketer or a, a salesperson and, and really work to you know grow the market and, and sell the wine, uh, or you could you know go potentially down a, a financial or administrative uh, you know kind of more of a business management path. So those are the three paths that you could conceivably go down. But before you do that, you know, go out and get yourself uh, a liberal arts degree. And so we were all encouraged really to go to school in New England. I went to Bowdoin College in Brunswick, Maine, um, studied history uh, as a major, uh, Spanish as a minor. I did some economics, so which I guess, you know, it didn't hurt to have a little, little you know, and at those colleges you're kind of required to do a broader range. But that's what, I, that, that's what they encouraged me to do and, and to, you know, not, not necessarily uh, think about coming back here to the winery right away spread your wings a little bit, you get more of a general uh, experience. So I did, you know, take advantage of the opportunity, and I did a semester in Spain. I did one in Peru. I later did an internship with a congressman in, in D.C., would work in San Francisco for a couple of years as I uh, became interested in, in the notion of land conservation. I worked for a land trust uh, in, in, in San Francisco. But it was, uh, for me, it was really, you know, 24, 25, where it finally occurred to me, I think with some encouragement from some of my friends, that uh, I had this, this great opportunity that uh, not everybody might have, and uh, yeah, I should really consider it. So anyhow, by the time I, I reached 24, I was, I was back in school studying chemistry, uh, biology, uh, physics, etc., and then and then went through this master's uh, program at UC Davis, and then totally focused in on winemaking. And so back to those three paths that you could conceivably go down to join the business, I decided that you know, winemaking would be the way to go. And so I, I had a chance then to to work a couple of uh, 
uh, seasons in in France and Champagne and then Cognac. I worked in Australia, uh, another winery there, and and then also uh, at some places around Napa. So there was a it was a good good stretch of time. Finally joined the winery full time in a permanent capacity when I was thirty. So uh, I'm glad that I I did have an opportunity to explore. Uh, the world a little bit and some of these other options rather than just coming right into the winery say at age 18 it would seem that in many ways uh hugh you had uh, an ideal combination of experiences um to help you um do what you're doing now which is to say you're wearing many hats you're 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 not involved just on the horticulture side you're not involved just on the marketing side you're not involved just in the, in the finance side. You're involved in all of those areas, and from what I understand, you know you, you're a hands-on guy in a in a good way, and um, so you're wearing many hats. And a lot of those experiences added up to helping you uh, understand the business and uh, and and actually see some competitive regions um, between Spain and Australia uh, today. Um, you know, we know that those are. Uh, two of the other uh, competitive wine regions. No, it, I once I got rolling, it I was de- definitely more methodical. I was, okay, I'm going to go to Australia. You know, I'm going to go to Champagne. Um, but I guess now looking way back, I had already you know been to Champagne when I was a little kid. You know, I I I I spent I'd been to you know Bordeaux, or I I and then later had a chance to do an experience in Cognac. Um, I've done, we, we've transfer worked on a project in Portugal, and so I was involved in that for a period of time. And and some of those things happened not because I was actively uh, pursuing this path to grow my, my, uh, my uh, to add things to my resume, so to speak, but more just, oh, that was because that was, the, the, these are things that my family did. These are things that my parents did. And so in some ways, getting into this business you know, those first 20-some years um, of my life, I was I was learning about this business whether I was actively trying to or not. And and so that may be, um, you know, I guess, you know, that background um, I think has, has helped, helped me and, and to that degree has, you know, helped our business. Well, I'm, I might also add when you had mentioned that your uh, father was with McKenzie, one of the most respected of the business consulting firms, and a lot of uh, business consultants out there uh, might be pleased to hear that you can actually make the transition from being a, a business consultant to actually running a business, and and in, <laughs> and in some sense he was uh, uh, very well suited uh, to come in and wear several hats. Uh, you know, he may have been. Uh, undertaking uh, on-the-job training, uh, so to speak, but he he had a foundation for a lot of different aspects of business operations. And uh, even though he focused on on the marketing end of the spectrum, um, he at least was from an organization that um, provided him, I think, with a, a skill set to. Uh, to undertake such a task. I mean, it wasn't out of the blue. He wasn't a school teacher. And Lord knows there are probably some school teachers that have become successful winemakers, um, but it definitely makes sense that uh, your father had uh, the experience that he did, and it, it also sounds like your mom shared his dream and, uh, and passion and that they were uh, 
uh, the right partners at the right time for for Schramsberg. Definitely, I, I think my mom's role was more in terms of the the taste. Uh, you know, now this is fifty years looking back. You know, they they might have uh, they'd probably speak differently about this. But in some ways, I feel like my mom had the the sense for the taste, the the, the image, the, the the look, the feel of of the brand of of the product. Um, and then my dad's expertise, he was one of these people who um, was just very positive, right? It, the, the, glass, the glass was always um, half full. It was never half empty. Uh, there, there was always an opportunity. There was never, um, you know, there, I guess in some ways there was never a doubt in his mind that this uh, would work. And so he was always able to, to frame the 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 uh, uh, you know the, the, the pitch uh, the 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 story in such a way that that um, people grabbed onto it and and believed it even though you know there really wasn't another producer of this style of wine for about seven years after we had started and so it it, it took it certainly took a little while to get all all of those wheels turning uh, uh, and and I guess. For the listeners, you know, you think of this as an, an exciting, uh, you know, kind of family story. Uh, you know, there there are probably better ways to make money. <laughs> so if, there's, if that if that's the end game, uh, maybe 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 not the smartest choice that the the McKinsey uh, executive made. But hey. Uh, no complaints at this end today. Well, it, it, at least early on, the the commitment was to making uh, a a high quality product. It sounded, it sounds, uh, you know, from what I've read, that that they were committed from day one to creating a very, very, very high quality product and one that would be highly competitive with um, the best champagnes uh, from France, uh, from the Champagne region, um, which uh, brings me to the question, what, what was the uh, original uh, product? Uh, was it a non-sparkling uh, Pinot, uh, and, and did that Pinot lead to um, the inaugural Blanc de Noir uh, sparkling? Um, tell us a bit the about The first wine, 65, there were 200 cases produced of a Blanc de Blanc, actually, so Chardonnay. And then in 67, they would add uh, the Blanc de Noir as a second style. And so the Noir then made from Pinot Noir. Uh, and then 68, there was a rosé. Although back at that time, we called it uh, the Cuvée de Gamay, which was the you know, name for the, the varietal that was used to make that wine, but a pink sparkling wine, if you will. And then later a demi-sec, and, and, and on the, the portfolio would grow. Today, in fact, uh, you know you can you can see in in the roots of your current uh, brut rosé, uh, one of the the, the most respected uh, of uh, sparkling brutes, uh, that uh, the foundation uh, was laid way back then. Also, uh, Hugh, the product got showcased in China uh, under the Nixon administration, uh, if I'm not mistaken, and. And as a result, or, or or you can clarify this, was it a later um, incident that uh, that that 
put the product in the uh, the White House and that has made it a product served by uh, all administrations uh, since. Um, and, and this is something for you to uh, ponder for just a moment because we're going to take a break. When we come back, you can, you can answer that question. We're here with Hugh Davies of Schramsberg. We'll be right back. This is Michael Gano with Insight to Israel. Every day, the Israeli Defense Force finds itself on the front line of the war with the militant arm of Islam. Surrounded by enemies from within and without, they fight for the only Jewish state. Military service is mandatory, ladies serving two years and men serving three right out of high school. While young people in other democracies are busy traveling or attending university, Israeli men and women gear up for basic training. In a world of heads of state, politicians, ambassadors, diplomats, and a leftist media, many times our voice at the grassroots level is drowned out. So we started an ongoing project called Hershey's for Heroes. Patriot conservatives from all over the U.S. are sending Hershey's chocolate bars with a note of thanks for defending Israel. Won't you join us by sending a sweet message to the IDF? For information, please see my Facebook page at Michael Gano. Thank you, God bless Patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. This is Dr. George. Join me Wednesday mornings for Medicine on Call and participate in a lively conversation. Learn what's happening behind the headlines in medicine. Understand Obamacare and learn how to protect yourself and navigate the system. Could an app be the answer to a better garden? Absolutely. It's the new free app, Homegrown with Bonnie Plants. Note, track, and photograph your garden's progress. Personalize your weather and reminders. Get variety info, grow guides, hands-free dictation, and more. The Homegrown with Bonnie Plants app. The sharpest tool in your garden. Download it free on the App Store. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to the Business Hour. We're here with Hugh Davies, the vintner of Schramsberg, the winery that is in Napa Valley, in Calistoga, and is producing some of the best wines and sparkling wines uh, in the country and in the world. And, Hugh, before the break, I I was asking about a couple of different um, uh, situations whereby uh, the Schramsberg product was... uh, Purchased, you know, you you didn't do this promotionally. The the product was purchased uh, for use uh, at a State Department function uh, in China. Tell us a little bit about that. So that was really the you know kind of the the moment when this this uh, relatively young, uh, inexperienced, uh, imaginative couple. Uh, where that idea that they came up with finally uh, got some some people's attention. And so in 72, actually, February of 72, you'll remember, or some may remember, that uh, Nixon uh, was actually the first president to ever go to China. So the first United States president to ever, ever go to China, which uh, 
may may sound surprising, and particularly so in a moment when you know the Chinese were on one side of the Vietnamese conflict and and we were on the other. Clearly, the the Korean conflict preceded that, and so our relations uh, with the Chinese were not particularly good. The it was it, in many ways it was maybe you know the the one thing. One 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 of the things that Nixon did as president that that was was quite good and and still has uh, lasting impact. But for us and our brand, um, you know, somehow to, to to be chosen to be served at this historic toast of peace following a, a week of of meetings between Mao and Zhou Enlai and Nixon and Kissinger, that was a uh, that was big. That was a that was a big deal. And so there weren't too many. Uh, Papers or, or, or magazines, you know, worldwide that didn't have the picture of of these gentlemen toasting with glasses of Schramsberg, uh, blank to blank, as Barbara Walters would call it on the, <laughs> the Today Show the next morning. Uh, this little known sparkling wine from California had had uh, uh, you know made history a little bit, and so with that. You know, there there came shortly thereafter the the first uh, knock on the door from a, a French suitor, and the the folks from Moet uh, Moet de Chandon, uh, you know, part of the Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy group, were uh, were here in Napa, interested in what they'd heard about, uh, uh, and offered to buy the winery, but Mom and Dad were uh, not of uh, not interested in selling, but were were sure excited that that um, you know these. These extraordinary producers of sparkling wine from you know, ten thousand miles away had uh, taken notice and encouraged them to to come to Napa, and and, and they did. So Domaine Chandon would start um, later. Piper Sonoma, Mum Napa, uh, Domaine Carneros, which is uh, you know, the Tattinger House, and the, the, today there still are five uh, French champagne companies that uh, uh, are producing sparkling wines in California using these traditional varietals. And, and methods. Um, that was uh, uh, not only a good moment for you know the Schramsberg, but to to a real degree for the Napa industry. And 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 it was one of the, one of those seminal moments of the '70s that that really gave a lift to the, the California wine industry. And and Hugh, speaking of um, the tradition of um, winemaking, um, tell us a little bit about what it is that that. I'm certain there there are listeners out there who are curious about um, which um, wines uh, are produced utilizing the method traditionnel and what how you might generally characterize um, that traditional method so that a California sparkling wine can be characterized as being produced utilizing those traditional methods from the Champagne region, for which Schramsberg has actually been highly recognized. Um, uh, tell us a little bit about what those general characteristics are. So in a bottle-fermented sparkling wine, uh, you're, you're definitely going to have a, a finer bead, uh, you know, the, the bubbles uh, in, in, the, in the glass in the bottle will be refined. There will be a certain creaminess, a really lovely texture on, on the palate. Um, these are wines that are also aged uh, uh, and, and sometimes for a very extensive time period before they're released, giving them uh, a certain richness, a certain toastiness, a certain nuttiness, a certain complexity. Uh, generally, these bottle-fermented and, and, and bottle-aged sparkling wines will be more expensive rather than less expensive. There are other ways that you can make 
sparkling wines or sparkling beverages. Uh, and so you could certainly bottle uh, a, a sparkling wine out, out of a tank. And so, you know, do do a fermentation that, 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 that gets bubbles in, into a tank and then come straight out of there. I mean, at an even less expensive label, you could simply carbonate it as, as we might carbonate a, uh, you know, a, a soda pop or something like that. Uh, so it is it is um, a, a somewhat more laborious process. There's a lot of hand work that's involved with, with the bottles. Um, and so once the, the bottles are, are, are bottled, filled, um, Second fermentation happens inside each one of these individual bottles in our in our caves. Uh, eventually, after aging the wine inside the bottle in contact with the yeast, we'll then riddle the bottle, so turn them to get the yeast to go down to the neck. We'll then freeze the neck containing the sediment now on a plug of ice, and we can pop the top off the bottle. That's it. All the bottles have crown caps. And then a uh, final addition called a, a dosage or a, a, a small addition of a liqueur is added to to, uh, to finish the wine, uh, to give it uh, a, a nice balance of uh, uh, with its acidity. The cork goes in, and then eventually the, the bottle will go in, out into the marketplace. So there's there's a little, little bit of extra uh, work involved in making this traditional method sparkling wine uh, a little bit more expensive as well in terms of the cost of production. Well, the, all of that little bit of extra work has paid off. Um, I might suggest to any listeners um, that haven't already gone to um, to Google Schramsberg, uh, one, you'll learn uh, a great deal about the history of Schramsberg from the website itself, as well as about uh, the various uh, wines that are produced under the Schramsberg label, the J. Schramm la- label, the Davies uh, label, uh, and... Uh, this is the 50th year. If anyone was doing their math, they'd, they'd know this was the 50th anniversary of the the Davies family at the helm of the Schramsberg uh, brand. Uh, what's what's planned for the 50th anniversary, Hugh? We have uh, we've, we've we've got quite a few plans in in place. Uh, initially, we've made uh, some commemorative bottles for this year, so we have a, a range of what we refer to as late disgorged. Uh, brute sparkling wines. Uh, there is a Blanc de Blanc and a Blanc Noir, late disgorged, uh, 2004 vintage. So these are wines that would have been aged for uh, just 10 years in contact with the yeast inside the bottle. And so we're just just now releasing these these wines from uh, that that vintage. Uh, uh, you know, going back a bit, and then with taking it up uh, just another notch, we have our J. Schrammer Reserve, which are two of our, you know, really our Tetuves, our, our, our top blends that we produce each year. The J. Schramm, our top Chardonnay-based wine. The the uh, the Reserve, our top Pinot-based sparkling wine. And so the, there we have a 99 J. Schramm and a 2000 Reserve. So here, you know, really more like 15-year-old. Uh, uh, offerings made in, on an even smaller scale, but so so those are there. Uh, we're also making some red wines today uh, under the Davies uh, brand, and so uh, in the fall we'll release uh, the Jack and Jamie Reserve Pinot Noir. Uh, we've worked with a number of specific sites to do some vineyard designated Pinot Noirs from sites in the Anderson Valley and out in the Sonoma Coast and down in the Carneros. Uh, here, the Jack and Jamie's Reserve Pinot, named it for my parents. Uh, is our, our attempt to, to really craft a, a, a beautiful blend from a range of these sites. So that's another one that, that will be released, you know, kind of with that 50th anniversary moniker. 
there will be a, a series of events that we do both here on the property, uh, but out uh, around the country as well. And so in the, in the fall, we, we envision a, a series of, of commemorative dinners uh, that will happen, you know, say, New York, Florida, Chicago, Texas, uh, San Francisco, uh, Los Angeles. And we'll probably add a couple of others in there as well. So those are, those are ways that we'll, we'll seek to connect with our, our consumer base and, and our, our fans in the trade who, um, who work with us to uh, uh, you know, help keep, keep us going and enjoy the wines that we make. One thing that I want to add here, um, Hugh, is that uh, for listeners out there who, who might not be aware that this program uh, doesn't uh, get paid for these uh, portraits of companies that uh, exemplify best practices and uh, have strong brands. Um, Schramsberg's done a, a heck of a job uh, g- g- cultivating the brand by producing quality wines. And if anybody goes online and Googles Schramsberg, you'll see that Schramsberg is included in the top ten on a lot of different lists. And uh, so you've managed to uh, promote the product just by virtue of the quality of the product. And uh, to me, that's the best kind of marketing. Um, and um, I also want to say that I know that you have a great team. I've had some personal exposure to your team in uh, in Calistoga, uh, in the Napa Valley, and um, I want to give a tip of the hat to Matt and Katie on your team. They they helped in, in setting this up. Um, and then I want to last. I, I want to thank you, Hugh, for producing a great uh, quality um, product uh, and uh, for taking the time to come on to the business hour. Well, thank you, uh, Robert. It- it's been a pleasure talking to you this morning, and uh, appreciate your your enthusiasm for what it is that we do. We've been listening to Hugh Davies, the vintner of Schramsberg, uh, a winery that is Calistoga-based in the Napa Valley, one of the best in the United States and in the world. You're listening to the Business Hour on America's Web Radio, 10 to 11 a.m. on Fridays. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio next week. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.